When you were younger, what did you want to be when you grew up? Do you remember that? Whatever you thought, oh man, it'd be so cool when I'm older if I could be, uh, if I could be this, if I could be that. I want you to watch uh, this little video. I want to be, hey, I never think thought of that. Uh, let me think about that. Whoa. I want to be a teacher when I grow up. Elementary teacher. I like little kids. A babysitter. A pastor. A dolphin trainer. A hair cutter. A person who helps in charities. I'm a cashier at Walmart. I want to be a lawyer. Lawyer. Pilot. Pilot pilot? And a dad? A pilot racer dad? Scientist. Scientist. YouTuber. Movie star. A famous actor. 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 Police. 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 On car chases. Cash bad guys. A superhero. Batman. Spider-Man. I want to be Third African American gymnast. Gymnastic coach. Dancer. Dancer. Dance teacher. Ballerina. Professional soccer player. I have a shirt on right now that's from Barcelona. Soccer player. Basketball player. Basketball, football, or soccer player. Or baseball. I can never choose. Mm, I do not know. I'm still working on that. Maybe when I grow up, I'll pick. I want to be a Pokemon trainer. I want to work at Target. I want. Uh. A cake. I want to be a pop star. Rock star singer. Uh, I want to be a cook. A cook. But I don't really know how to actually cook. A artist and a video game maker. Video game designer. Video game. I want to be a filmmaker. Um, whatever my dad is. Oh, do you know what your dad is? I'm not sure. I'll be a doctor. 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 A mermaid. A mermaid doctor. Hmm. Heart surgeon. Neurosurgeon. Pediatrician. And why do you want to do that? I want to be a doctor and then I can wear rainbow sweatpants. I really want to be a nurse. Everyone says you have to be very good at science and math. I'm not really, but I still want to be one. Pet vet. 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 Veterinarian. Veterinarian. Zoologist. Princess fairy zookeeper. How much do you think they get paid? $29. So what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe uh, when you were little you had sort of a, an idea that isn't, isn't realistic, like, you know, I want to be a fairy zookeeper or a, a pilot racing dad or something like that. Or you just had something realistic, like you wanted, to be a, you wanted to be a doctor or you wanted to be a lawyer, you wanted to be a teacher, you wanted to be an athlete, you wanted to be this, you wanted to be that. And then maybe you, maybe you went through with that or maybe you didn't. Right? Maybe you realized you're not actually good at the crucial skills it takes for that job. Or maybe you realize that job doesn't exist. Or maybe fear crept in and you were afraid of the sacrifices, you were afraid of the failure, and so you didn't quite become what you always dreamed you would become. But actually today, we're going to talk about growing up a little bit. And we're going to start with a person in the Christmas story who... A lot of people wonder what he'll be when he grows up. And if we kind of look at his story a little bit in the context of Christmas, we'll also learn that it says something about how we all can grow up. So if you'll turn in your Bible or on your device to Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 57. Verse 57, that's where we'll be. 
here's what Luke tells us. He says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. Well, they said to her, There's no one among your relatives with that name. Doesn't make any sense. Then they made signs to his father. If, if you remember, uh, a few weeks ago we talked about how when Zechariah was told by the angel, you're going to have a son, he didn't believe him. And so the angel said, you're not going to be able to speak until he's born. So they're trying to get Zechariah to say something. Uh, he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So then, Zechariah can't help but he just breaks into a prophecy. You know, in, in Luke's Christmas story, people are all kinds of people are singing and prophesying. And so the next verse says his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. But he actually starts talking about Jesus, not his son. He starts talking to us about Jesus. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, he doesn't mean like a, like a trumpet or like the horn from like a a bull or something like that. That's a, that's a little ancient metaphor for a powerful person. A horn in the Bible is usually a powerful person, like a king. So he says he's raising up this powerful king for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us, from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now the people, when they, when they realize John the Baptist is being born, it says they're all filled with, well, your translation, like this one, says awe, but really the word in Greek is the same word for fear, and it's the same word that Zechariah says, that because of Jesus, he will enable us to serve the Lord without fear. So, which is it? Should we fear the Lord or not fear the Lord? That's kind of one of those tensions in Scripture, because, you know, we read verses, for example, like in Proverbs, where Solomon writes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, seems like fearing, the, fearing God is a good thing. But then we read in places like 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So I'd be like, okay, God, which is it? Make up your mind. Should we fear you or not fear you? Which is it? The theologian Martin Luther, he studied fear in the Bible, and he had two kinds of fear. He used these you know, Latin words to kind of describe them. So he said there's servile fear and filial fear. 
So servile fear is motivated by punishment. It's like John writes in 1 John 4. Because fear comes from punishment. So Martin Luther studied and said, well, there's this type of fear that's because you're afraid of being punished. But then there's this filial fear, and you can almost hear family, sort of the Latin word for family is right in there. And it's the idea of fear, sort of like a child fears their dad or fears their parent. It's sort of a more of this kind of loving, respect sort of thing, but that's still not quite the best way to think about it. And so there's this tension in Scripture between how should we relate to God? Because God designed us to have a loving relationship with him, not to have a fearful relationship of him. And so, if you will, there's kind of a pendulum swing. Sometimes we go too far one way and we get, we're just terrified of God. Like we're, we're shaking in our boots. We just, we're just so afraid that he's going to be mad at us and he's going to punish us and so we don't know what to do. And other times we swing the pendulum a little too far the other way or it's like, Jesus is just my, my pal. He's my buddy. He's my best friend. And we sort of forget that he's the king of the universe. So on one side, we forget that Jesus is God. He's the king of everything. And on the other side of the pendulum, we forget that Jesus does say, I call you my friends. So there's this constant little tension. But our passage this morning kind of makes us wrestle with this question. How do we serve God without fear? Because that's what Zacharias says is going to happen with Jesus. He'll enable us to serve God without fear. So how does that happen? Well, to answer that question, we need to get back to Zacharias' prophecy, and we need to get back to John the Baptist, who this, this particular story is about. And luckily for us, Zechariah does that in the next verse. He transitions from prophesying about Jesus to talking about his son, John. So verse 76, he says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. So John is going to give us the knowledge of salvation. He's going to tell us how this plan is going to unfold and how it all works. So Luke says that Elizabeth's neighbors, they all wondered, what, what kind of kid is John going to be? What's he going to grow up to be? Because it just seems like God is evident in his life. What, what will he be when he grows up? Well, luckily for us, we don't have to wait because we can just literally turn the page. For some of you, you may just jump over to the next page, depending on how your Bible's laid out. We can just hop on over to Luke chapter 3 and just see for ourselves, who does John become? So, in chapter 3, a couple verses down, verse 3, Luke tells us, he went, being John, John went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John's out, he's preaching, he's telling people to get baptized, to repent. And then just a couple verses later, verse 7, Luke writes, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Like, Whoa, John, literally in your name, the Baptist. Aren't you, shouldn't you be like excited? Anytime somebody comes to get baptized, like, what? did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? What, what's going on? He's not happy about these people. And Luke actually gives us a hint why he's so upset. Because the next verse, he says, 
Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Ah, so here's the little clue. John's not too thrilled with this first crowd because they, they care a whole lot about God's promises and God's blessings. They're all for it. But they don't want to do any of God's work. They're like, ha, we belong to Abraham's family. We deserve this. And John's like, yip de doo I don't care. That's not what's important. And he has a lot to say to them. He's not, he's not exactly uh, thrilled by their attitude and what their heart is about. And John the Baptist is supposed to be someone who comes and he's going to straighten out the paths for Jesus. And so he just knows when Jesus shows up soon, he's not going to be too thrilled about these people's attitudes. So I better straighten this out right now and deal with this. And he, he's about to do that. If I could translate this particular situation into our world a little bit, I think it would be like John confronting a group of people and he would basically tell, look, Jesus to you is just a get-out-of-jail-free card. You don't really care about Jesus. He's just your ticket to heaven. And you've got this kind of backwards. He might say to, to us in sort of a way, are you following Jesus or are you following heaven? Like, is Jesus just your way to heaven, or do you actually want to follow Jesus? Do you actually love Jesus? Because I think what begins to happen is when you care more about heaven than Jesus, you get really scared of Jesus. Because Jesus is not so much the way, the truth, and the life. He's like the wall. Because in your mind, I've got to get to heaven, and the only person who could stop me is God. And so if God finds out what I've done, if God, if God hears the things... Oh, he could, he could stop me. So you get scared and you hide. and you, I don't want God to know I did that. I don't want God to know I thought that, that sort of thing. And so we get our wires a little bit crossed. And so John is telling them, hey, baptism's great. It's wonderful. But you've got to get your wires in the right order. Jesus is calling you to follow him, not the other way around. So he's trying to get them straight out. So this, this crowd, this first crowd that comes to John, this group of Jews... John can see right through their act. He's like, you just want all the benefits and you don't want any of the work. You don't want any of the sacrifice. Your heart's not in the right place. So, in the next few verses, the crowd asks a very good question. In verse 10, well, what should we do then? And John's like, I'm glad you asked. So John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Okay, okay. Then, verse 12, even tax collectors came to be baptized, which I love how Luke does that. Even the tax collectors. Like, for them, they'd be like, oh, those, those dirty, rotten tax collectors, those Jews who betrayed us and are helping the, the Romans. They're our enemies. They're the people who took over our nation, and those guys are helping them out. Ugh. And Luke's just like, with a wink in his eye, even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Because later, Jesus will say, even the tax collectors are getting into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. So Luke knows what's, what's going on. So they, they come to John and they say, Teacher, what should we do? And so John tells them, Don't collect any more. Don't collect any more than you're required to. Then some soldiers, they asked John, And what should we do, John? What about us? And he says, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. All right. So those are John's answers to, well, how do we keep with the fruit of repentance? How do we do that, John? And he tells them. Now, when we read those answers, I don't know about you, but they seem sort of, uh, 
easy, sort of attainable, sort of even like not spiritual, maybe? Like, that's it? You just want them to like share their extra shirt with somebody, share their food, be content with their pay, don't extort money, like, that, that's it? John, that's the answer? And I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's part of the answer. Because, as Zechariah prophesies, John's going to teach us the knowledge of salvation. And so John is teaching that there's a repentance, there's baptism, but there's also obedience. And obedience is really, really important. Now, the traditional plan of salvation that you've probably heard before, in fact, you've probably had people teach you by using um, the fingers on their hand. They'll start on one side or the other. But they'll say, okay, the plan of salvation is you believe, you repent, you confess, and you get baptized. Those are the first four steps. Now, those four steps, they, they happen pretty quickly, generally speaking. There's a pretty short length of time between step one and step four, right? Sometimes they all happen pretty simultaneously for some people. Those happen pretty quick. But then the final step is obedience. Some people might use a language that might say it's commitment or it's producing fruit, whatever it is, but that's the last step. Now, I was very intentional with how I counted my fingers because I like to start with my pinky and end on my thumb because have you ever tried um, to not use your thumb? Like, this, is, this is a fun game for your family this afternoon. Find some masking tape or something and just tape the thumbs down on your hands and try to go around the house and do normal, everyday things without your thumb. It'll be pretty hard. Like, you'll have to rethink how you do everything. Like, like, trying to open a can of soda, trying to take a drink, trying to change the channel on the TV, it's all, it's all going to, texting, everything's going to be different for you. And what John's point is, is if you get rid of the obedience step, it's like trying to live out your faith in Jesus without your thumb. And it's really hard, and it's not quite the full picture. So John lays out that salvation, yes, there's belief and repentance and confession and baptism, but obedience is a huge part. And he sees right through, especially that first group of people, and says, you don't really want to obey. You just, you just want to get the benefits, but you don't want to obey what Jesus is all about. Now, don't misunderstand me. Only Jesus can save you from your sins. You cannot work hard enough, you cannot do enough good deeds to pay your debt of sin that you owe to God. Only Jesus can do that. But, if you're not obedient you're kind of missing the point. As, as James wrote, James wrote, faith without works is dead. You've, you've got to have faith and works go together. And Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he said, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do Nothing. And so what John is trying to straighten the path out even before Jesus shows up on the scene in just, just a few verses in Luke's story, is he's trying to straighten out and say, all those steps are so important. And obedience is important because if you don't really believe, you're going to have a hard time obeying. And if you're not obeying, that shows your faith probably isn't in the right place. And it just goes hand in hand. And Jesus even says, if you're not producing fruit, my father's just going to cut you off which sounds pretty harsh. And you're like, come on, Justin, it's almost Christmas. What are we, what are we talking about this for? Well, here, here's why we're talking about this. Henry Blackaby said in his book, Experiencing God, he wrote, if you have an obedience problem, you have a love problem. 
you have a love problem. And this Christmas, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help all of us change our fear into love. Because I don't want you to live in the pendulum swing of being so afraid of God that you're unable to step into the loving relationship that he has for you. And in Luke's story, the arrival of the prophet John, the arrival of this prophet, turns our fear of God into love of God. Because as Zechariah says, because of Jesus and because of what my son John is going to teach us, we're going to be able to serve the Lord without fear, which is a powerful truth. But it's, it's one thing to just say that, like, okay, but it's another thing to try to actually live that out, right? Those are two very different things to sort of do. But if you think of biblical prophets, I don't know, what's the first image that comes to your mind when you think of prophets? Maybe it's like uh, disaster, like harsh words, like you're, you're in big trouble, so God sent a prophet to tell you how to fix your life. I don't know what the, the image is for you. But when you really stop and think about it, all the prophets in the Old Testament, they tried to turn Israel back to God. They were trying to get Israel to love the Lord their God again. But every single prophet had to deal with an obedience problem in Israel. They were worshiping in the wrong ways. They were worshiping other gods. They were, you know, they were sinning. They, had, they all had an obedience problem. And so each Old Testament prophet was trying to fix their heart, trying to do something with the way that they love God. And so here's the thing. If you have an obedience problem, you may think, man, I just got to obey better. Actually, you have a love problem. It's just, you just got to dig a little bit beneath the surface and find what that, what that is for you. So here's a practical way that you can partner with God to help transform your fear of him into love of him. And I'm even going to give you uh, an acronym to try to make it as easy as possible for you to remember this, okay? The acronym is SIT. S-I-T. SIT. So, we slow down to see what God is doing. We slow down. That's S. We invite the Holy Spirit to show us how much God loves us. That's I. And we think about what a loving God could do through us. That's T. So slow down, invite, and think. Because when you are afraid of God, you don't slow down. You fill your life up with all sorts of activities and busyness, and oh, i got to run here and i got to run there. You can even fill your life up with very um, Christian, spiritual activities. But you're just trying to keep yourself really, really busy because you're afraid if you slow down, God will catch up with you. And if God catches up with you, whew, you're, not, you're so afraid of what he might say to you or do to you. So you're just... I'm just going to keep busy, and then God will never have a chance to talk to me. But when you slow down, you actually give God the chance to speak to you and tell you what he thinks. Now, this is simple steps, and you, all of us can do this this Christmas season, because I know the holidays, like this week, might be pretty crazy, because it's like, we got some last-minute shopping, we got to wrap gifts, we got to pack for the trip, we have families coming over, this and this and this. But, and maybe for you it's once all the gifts have been opened and once Christmas dinner's done and the dishes are clean and, and all that, all of us are going to get at least a day or two in there. We're just, it's just quiet, it's slow, the kids, they all have their toys, they're off in another room playing, and you can just sit and just give yourself at least a few minutes, if not longer, to just do this, to slow down, to ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what God actually says about you, and then to think about well, if God really loves me like that, what could he do through me? What could he do next? 
because of everyone in this story, they're wondering, who's, who's John going to grow up to be like? What, what's going on? We can tell God's hand is on him, but what, what will happen next? And God's hand is on each and every one of us because now we all can have the Holy Spirit. So what could God do with you next? So kids have dreams about what they'll be when they grow up. And maybe sometimes you just you go, oh, that's cute, and you don't ruin their dream because you know, they'll, they'll grow up and realize that's, that's not exactly accurate, or, or they'll figure out that they really don't like math, and so they probably shouldn't be an engineer or, or whatever. But for you, I don't know if you became what you wanted to be when you grew up, or maybe you're like, well, I'm an adult. I'm, I kind of grew up too late. But here's actually the good news of the gospel. No matter how old you are, no matter how many years you've been following Jesus, it's never too late to grow up. Never too late. Because Jesus still has so much he can do with each and every one of us. And I don't know, maybe for you, you just kind of think about, man, what if, what if 10 years from now, what if I was more patient? What if five years from now I prayed a little more like this? What if, what if 20 years from now I had... Just this, just this deeper well of spiritual wisdom. What if, what if, you can still grow up? And Christmas and New Year's kind of provides this really natural season for a lot of us to kind of reflect on the last year and kind of think about where we are and where we want to be. And so maybe for you, you need to think about, even if you're an adult and you're in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 90s, whatever it is for you to think, well, what if, what could I be when I grow up? What if, you know, maybe for you that means when I'm 70, when I grow up in a few more years, I'm 70, what do I hope I'm like? What do I hope Jesus does with me? And maybe for some of you, you sort of feel like you're kind of stuck in the same place in your faith, like you keep having the same questions and the same challenges, and you keep saying over and over, year after year, I wish I was more like, I wish I was more like, I wish I could do this, I wish I was better at. Maybe the reason you're kind of stuck and you're not growing up is not because you need to do more things or you need to obey better. It might be you have a love problem. You just, you haven't loved God as deeply as you can, and you need to do the hard, slow work of letting the Holy Spirit deepen your heart. So you can realize just how much God loves you, because when you realize how much God loves you, it flows into your obedience. They're all connected. So just imagine what would you be like if a few years from now, however many years it is for you, you say, hey, if I up a little more, what would I be like? But also imagine for us as an entire church, if we all were doing that, no matter how old we are, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, as all of us thought, what could God do with me in five years, in 10 years, in 30 years, whatever it is? You know, for me, I'm about to turn 30, and so I've been thinking a little bit about like when I, for example, just when I was 18 and went off to Bible college, all the things I thought I would maybe become, and then some of those things I'd be like, hey, I did that. Like, I remember when I was 18 and thought, I wonder what it will be like when I'm, like, finally preaching at a church full-time. It's like, okay, well, okay, I, I got there. It worked. It happened, you know? And there's other things like, man, like, when I went to Bible college, I didn't really know a whole lot about this, and I've learned a lot more. But now that I'm about to turn 30, I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's so many things I still don't know. And there's things I'm realizing, I, man, what if I could grow and be better at, like, what if God could help me be a better preacher? What if God could help me deepen my prayer life? What if God could help me be better at making disciples and evangelizing and all these other things? And, and then I remember what God did from 18 to almost 30-year-old me, and I'm like, well, shoot, if I give the Holy Spirit another 10 years, 
And another 10 years, what? Just what could he do? So you're, you're not done growing up yet. Don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. God can still do so much. But imagine if all of us were doing that. If we were a church that was doing that, always trying to find how can we continue to grow up in the Lord? What can Jesus do with us next? And I think that would translate into so many different ways. I think that would translate into us as a church body having a stronger sense of identity. We'd have stronger marriages. I think it would translate into our students doing an even better job of being examples in their, in their schools. I think it would translate into the baptistry being a little more active and a little busier. I think it would translate into us serving in our gifts. I think it would translate into a better awareness or a presence of the Holy Spirit. There's just so many things that, that would translate into if all of us continue to find how can Jesus help us grow up. And I think if we all did that, we would look more and more like a church rooted in God's love. Because when you love God, you just can't help but obey him. You just can't help but do those things. And I think this year what, what the world really needs, especially around Christmas time, is they don't need more fear. They don't need another guilt trip. Like, you know, you might be a little nervous because ugh, family drama around Christmas. There's that one crazy cousin or that uncle or that whoever, and they're going to say something, and then we're all going to get into it. The world doesn't need more family drama this Christmas. What the world needs, of course what the world always needs, is to know the love of Jesus. That what God chose to do in his plan is he sent his son into the world as a baby. And he had to grow up like all of us. He had to obey Mary and Joseph, even though he was God. He had to, you know, I don't know if Joseph like put Jesus in time out. I have no idea, but maybe he did. And the son of God in humility said, okay, I'm going to do what my, my mom and dad tell me to do. But he grew up, and he overcame sin in every turn. Hebrews tells us he suffered like we do. He knows exactly what you're going through because he's been there too. He chose to walk that path. He didn't just show up as a 33-year-old man and said, all right, let's go to the cross, let's get this over with. He took years of development. In fact, the last verse of, this, of chapter 2 says that John the Baptist is being prepared by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Luke will echo those same verses to talk about Jesus. And so Jesus took this slow process of letting the Holy Spirit help him grow up way before he started his ministry. And God put us here to tell people through our words and show people with our actions that the love of God is, God stepped into the world as Jesus, he grew up, he suffered, he died on the cross, he raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he did that to invite all of us to go from death to life. And so we keep growing up so we can do a better job of telling people who Jesus is. And if you'll slow down and let the Holy Spirit search your heart to address your fear of God by turning it into love of God, you can become who God still knows you can become. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for the gift of your, of your life, the sacrifice you made for us, the example you set for us. I'm thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit and how you constantly work with us and you teach us and you grow us and you're never done with us. And I'm thankful, Jesus, that you, you said that you call us friends and that the king of the universe would be willing to be our friends and have a relationship with us and that you, you care for us and want the best for us. So Holy Spirit, please help us, especially over these next several weeks as as we go right into the Christmas holiday, 
that you would help us to take the time to slow down and let you do deep forming work in our lives so that we can become more like you, so that we can grow up into the person you know we can become. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.